to have a successful career with these with higher end celebrities and clients and CEOs, there's a few things. You have to gain their trust. You have to get top of mind awareness and you have to connect with them, right? Or attune with them. If you don't attune, uh, they're not going to listen to anything you say. So then you can't establish yourself. You found the Real Estate Law Podcast because real estate is more than just pretty pictures and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. If you're a real estate professional or looking to build real estate expertise, then welcome to the conversation and discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. You found the Real Estate Law Podcast. I'm Rory Gill, the broker owner of Next Home Title Town and the attorney at Urban Village Legal. Today, I'm joined by Nathaniel Pichon Getzels. He is the team lead of the Getzels Group, a real estate office that serves Los Angeles County. And I'm really excited for the conversation today I have with Nathaniel because I think his business is much different than mine in a lot of capacities, and I'm interested to hear how he works it. He works with a great deal of high-end clients um, in Los Angeles County, in, including celebrities, and I'm interested to hear his take on the luxury market out there. In addition to that, he works with clients from across the spectrum, um, from first-time home buyers um, and smaller investors as well. So don't let the high-end part scare you off there, but I am interested to hear that part as well. Nathaniel, welcome to the podcast. It's great to see you. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here today. And I love that pillow behind you too. Yeah, Southie, that's where our office is located, the center of our practice. Good old Southie. It's nothing like you see in the movies, I promise you that. Um, (laughs) So welcome to the podcast. Um, I hope I got everything right in the introduction, but you are a team lead for an office in LA County. Tell me about that. Tell me, you know, about your team, what you guys are focusing on, how big you are and all of that. Absolutely. So I have a, a team led a team for about 10 years. And a few years ago, we brought it over under the Compass umbrella here in Calabasas. So actually, uh, I'm now up to six. I try to keep it very, very small because I do have people ask me all the time. And I'm sure we all hear it. Oh, well, I don't know what else to do. I'm going to get into real estate or, oh, well, I see you're doing really well. I could just come work for you. And, and people like volunteer themselves constantly. And I, um, so I've had to put in a pretty not vicious, but, but discerning process to qualify if people are even, you know, ready for an interview in that process. So, but what I've done is I've, I've tried to put a combination of people together that not tried, I have put together uh, a group of people that have a wide range. So some are newer agents, some are agents who have 13 plus years in the business. Some are Right in the middle, you know, some only have five or six million dollars in production, mm-hmm. but you know that, or that's when they joined, they only had five or six million dollars in production, right? Which um, for this market isn't a large a large number, right? Because it's LA, and here most of the homes are a million dollars, so it's it's good start, but we we build from there. So we kind of do a it's a very supportive team though once you're on it, and uh, it's kind of. Not in the money, but in the way we operate is kind of family style. We all look out for each other. It's great because we all mastermind together. And because we all have different backgrounds and perspectives. And, you know, collectively, there's almost 100 years of uh, real estate 
knowledge in there. If you add it all, you know, 15 here, 15 there, 10 there, five there, that sort of thing. Well, probably 80 years, but anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we all have different perspectives, things like that. Obviously, I have the final say on things, but I like to collaborate. So my whole, everything I do in general is about what I can bring to the table, not what, what I can take from it. So I feel like if you build a really strong team around you, you can bring more and everybody brings something and you have something at a much higher level. You know, if, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Mm-hmm. And so we all collaborate without ego. And, you know, sometimes people are right and sometimes they're wrong. And we all just kind of have a group mind and bring it together to uh, find the best solutions for ourselves and our clients. So let me ask you a really selfish question as a, you know, somebody else who runs a real estate team. What are you screening for? You said you go through kind of a process where you want to make sure that people are, are right for your team. And I know we can't always look into the future and see just exactly how somebody's going to perform in real life. But what are you looking for when somebody's interested in joining your team? Right. That's a great question. And so my whole mindset has always like the reason I'm in real estate in the first place is because I put together the things that wake me up in the morning, the things that I'm passionate about, operationalize it. You don't want to just do the things that you're passionate about because obviously that's just like being drunk and you don't make the best decisions when you're drunk. Mm-hmm. Not always. Uh, anyway, so, you know, but so I combine the things that I, I'm passionate about that I enjoy. And so because of that, I have a a unique mindset as to how to look at the business. So a lot of people in real estate, they look at it very transactionally, which, you know, I always tell people fall in love with the process. Don't fall in love with the result. The result will motivate you, but the process is, has all these small rewards in it. That is what actually keeps you motivated. So I look for the right mindset, which is a collaborative abundance mindset. That's the first thing. So I have to know I can work and talk to the person and, and know that we're kind of in the like mind as far as that the mindset goes. A second, I look for history. I do a full interview process. So I get a resume. It shocks a lot of people that I actually ask for a resume. Even if it's not real estate related, I want to know the history. I want to see how they can pull the different things they've learned and apply it to real estate. I want to see what resonated about their past. I look at how many contacts they have, if they have an organized contact list or not. Just because they don't isn't always a disqualifying factor, but I get an explanation and kind of how how that, that comes to be, right? So I also, I ask that they read a couple of books and I will not interview them until those books are read. Mm-hmm. And it, it's because I want to see what parts of those books resonate with them. And it's not even really about the book or what they say. It's about how, how they're processing it and how we're interacting. And if they understand that the most important thing in our business, we're not in sales, we're in the service business. So the most important thing is to attune and create an organic, authentic relationship on some level, even if you don't know what you have in common with the person. Right. So I check if there's a potential for that, if they know how to do it, great. And if not, I get a feeling for if I think I can teach them how to do it. I love that, you know, share an abundance mindset with you, um, have a good history that they can articulate a connection to why they want to get into the real estate and how they're 
they're going to put together their business. But what I've never heard before in any form is the requirement to to read a book. And I that caught my attention right away. And that's something that's an idea that I just love from from first hearing it. Because I I just I work with agents and you know when I started recruiting new agents, it's the marketplace has gotten lazy to some degree. People look at real estate um, brokerages as a place to hang your license. And I know it's impossible to create a culture if you kind of give in to that market impulse that's out there. Absolutely. And that's actually, so the, the book has a couple of reasons. First, it is because I want to discuss what's in the book and see how they interact and have a, a common thing to discuss, right? Because I know what's in those books forwards and backwards, obviously. But also... If someone can't commit, they're not long books. They're not hard to read. They're not super technical, you know, and if someone can't commit to reading a book, there's a lot more complicated things in real estate than reading a book. So if they can't make that commitment, first of all, I don't want them on my team. But secondly, I don't think it's even the right business for them because a lot of people, like you said, people get lazy. They just come in. They think I'm going to make a lot of money and I have to do a lot of work. Oh, I like looking at pretty houses. I'm sure we have all heard that repeatedly. Why do you want to be in real estate? I love pretty houses. Okay. Who doesn't? You you know what I mean? I mean, granted, my friend said for every ugly house, there's an ugly person. Probably true. However, I don't think that person thinks it's an ugly house when they're buying it, unless it's an investment and that's a different issue altogether. But so people say telling me, oh, I love pretty houses. Uh Mm Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, um, you know, I like dressing nice. What? What do you yep. say? These are not valid reasons. First of all, they're not valid reasons to do anything. They're certainly not a, a qualifier for real estate. So I need to see that somebody is willing to put some skin into the game. Not necessarily financially right off the bat, but some sort of skin in the game, some investment in themselves. That's part of what the book is because between the resume and the book, you have no idea the huge number of people that that automatically disqualifies right off the bat. One of the things I've heard, current agents, current agents won't do these things. This is not a good fit. I'm so sorry. I just actually, I had someone who onboarded. The onboarding process was so complicated for them that I said right there, I'm like, you know, I think this is a bad fit for you. Mm-hmm. You can go to, I suggest I've done their industry, but if you want to go try another brokerage where maybe there's more handholding or there's, they take lower production agents right? Because some agents, brokerages, their whole business plan is just get agents. And that's how they make their money. And my team doesn't, I don't make any money from just having agents on my team. I want producing agents. And ideally, I want to build agents that are super agents that, you know, are making millions and millions of dollars a year. So I can be off traveling. And every so often I get a call with a question or, you know, a compliment or I mean, not a compliment, but a a question for some advice or some guidance. And I'm mainly doing marketing and whatever. Right. So the goal is to build super agents, a series of them. I'm not just trying to fill a seat, which is also why I don't pay anyone a salary. It's all commission. So you work hard or you work yourself out of, out of a business. As a brokerage, you'll lose money if you just let people hang their license in the office and not produce and not take ownership of their business. Well, you know, certain brokerages, they have a lot of fees and a lot of costs up front and monthly this and monthly that. So some brokerages, it is their business plan to have a certain number of their agents not producing. But overall, yeah, it's not a good plan. And it's not good for the agents at all because, you know, they're not growing at all. 
shift gears with the conversation a little bit because I'm always interested to hear what's going on in other parts of the country. In many ways, there are common trends that, you know, that transcend every corner. It's been a seller's market forever. Rising interest rates are, you know, kind of throwing a wet blanket on it to some degree for all of us. I'm really interested to hear, though, the kind of an unfettered telling of what what it's been like in California for the past couple of years, because it, everything that kind of comes out and is spoken nationally is coming either through a political lens where somebody has a political point to prove one way or the other, or they really want to harp on one issue. But, you know, what is the market condition in California and what do the rest of us get wrong when we think about California real estate? Absolutely. So a lot, actually. Um, no mistake that people from all over the world who are millionaires, billionaires, and the like come here. It's not an accident. It's not like they got lost on the turnpike and made a left instead of a right or something, right? So the biggest thing that's a big pet peeve that I hear all the time is, oh, everyone's moving out, everyone's moving out. Well, there are a lot, there was a big out migration. Mm -hmm. However, and they said, oh, it's going to kill the real estate market. Ah, here's where one of the misconceptions is. The majority, right? You, of course, you have your Elon Musk and a couple other notable people who are very wealthy who moved. But the majority of people who are moving make less than $100,000 a year. And just let's use Los Angeles as an example. You have to have an income for a median house, right? You have to have an income of uh, over $135,000 just to qualify. Now, probably more because of the interest rates. But so these are not homeowners that are leaving and moving to other states to buy for less. These are people who are mainly renters. So the majority of people that left are renters. Now, they're probably homeowners now because they left so they could buy in Texas, in Florida, in Colorado. In, well, Colorado is actually pretty expensive now. But in Utah, in Nevada, in wherever, all these places that people went. Now, something else that people don't realize about even the people that moved is a lot of them, especially the ones that can financially handle it, are already coming back. So there's still a lot of people that are coming back as well. And I know people love to use this, oh, the U-Haul trucks are so hard to get because everybody's leaving with U-Haul trucks. Well, yeah, that's true. But most of my clients who own houses move with moving companies. So yeah, the, there was a lot of U-Haul trucks moving because renters usually more commonly move with rent, with U-Haul trucks. So totally makes sense. And all these things make sense if, if you track them and you understand what the what the, the numbers actually mean, right? So, I mean, the, the LA is still the center for ultra luxury in the country. There's more t- houses over $10 million that sell here than anywhere else in the entire country of the United States. So it's a great place to be. And I love California, as you can tell. I've lived here my whole life. I own properties all over the world. I own properties in countries I've never even been to, but I live here and it's not an accident. So, um, you know, it's okay if you want to move, I can help you do that. But, you know, understanding the environment is really important. So that's that's a pet peeve there. Overall, I'm seeing... Interest rates have gone up, of course. We all know that. You know, uh, your, your payments went up more than 70% in less than three months. It's great. And it's going to go up more. And that has driven people, uh, some buyers out of the market. Absolutely true. However, it's also left space for a lot of buyers in the market. Because previously, 
in California, the market was so hot. It was so hot that a lot of buyers didn't have a chance to get in. And these houses were going three, $400,000 over asking. And things were just, you know, no contingencies, no inspections. It's not really the best way to buy a house. It worked out for a lot of people because they were gaining 20% equity a, month, uh, a year. So it was okay. But now we have a big space and a lot of buyers are in the market buying houses. At, you know, prices are still going up, by the way. But there's a difference between decelerating and de-escalating, mm-hmm. right? So it's kind of like we were going 120 miles an hour on the freeway and we're speeding and it feels great and we're cruising. We can't believe how fast we're going. Now we know there's a cop up ahead on the next curve and we have to slow down to about 70 miles an hour, which is still faster than normal and still a great speed and no traffic and we're cruising, but it feels like you're crawling, but it's a lot less likely that you're going to crash at 70 than at 120 miles an hour. And the same with the real estate market. If we kept going in that speed, the whole market would have crashed and it would have been a mess. So now we're at a healthy speed and interest rates historically are still pretty low. I mean, look in 1984, I think there were what 16% or something. It was wild. So relatively still pretty low. If you look at demand, demand is actually also a myth. Demand is right where it should be. Just the problem is there's so little inventory. It gives us the illusion that there's this huge demand. And, but if you look at the number of sales, we're just about, I mean, we're slightly under, but we're just about where we were before the pandemic as well. So to me, it kind of feels like right now we're back to a normal-ish market that you know is going to keep going up a little bit. Still going to go up faster than a normal market, actually. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of news. So people buy... They don't, you know, the same way rates go up on the news, people buy on their emotions. They're not buying on facts. Rates don't change based on the Fed and people don't buy based on logic. They buy based on how they feel. So that is actually driving some people out of the market, even though financially it would be a great time for them to get in because interest rates are a little higher. They're probably going to go up a little more. And then possibly next year or the year after, they might come down. However, if they come down, great. You refi and you're set. If they keep going up, then you still locked in at a lower rate and you're set. So either way, it's kind of a smart idea as far as that goes. Now, if there's going to be a huge drop, there's always ways to mitigate your loss as well. So, but, you know, the, the extreme, the ultra luxury market is doing great, um, what I'm seeing a slowdown in a little bit, like the little hints of a slowdown, not even a real slowdown, but a hint of it, is the $100 million houses. So you've seen, I'm sure you've seen in the news, a few of those that have gone to auction recently. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, of course, some of those are due to distressed lenders. And, uh, you know, you always have a fluke of builders that do wild things because they're building wild houses and they do wild things. But I've seen this slow trend of 80, $90 million, $100 million houses even coming down to into auction and then selling it closer like $60 million. So that's a relatively narrow part of the market there. And that's, yeah. but so 
you know, thank you for that analysis. It's really kind of one of the the best I've heard. And I love the analogy about the speeding car. I really do. And I'm probably going to steal that from you sometime. So um, please do. thanks for that. You know, we're starting to talk about kind of the different the different tiers that are doing well. And I think that's where the more interesting story is when we talk about changing rates and changing market, you know, how the low end of the market's doing versus the middle tier and the the upper income and then the ultra luxury. But you know, where I definitely want to pick your brain is in the luxury tier. That's something that you've done a lot of and it hasn't really been a focus of mine individually as a as an agent. How do you work with um, luxury clients and luxury listings in a way that's different? from other segments of the market. We'll be right back. Every other real estate rental property deal analysis spreadsheet is wrong. The only spreadsheet that correctly analyzes your real estate deals taking into account reserves, true cash flow, including depreciation, and your true net equity on a property is the world's greatest real estate deal analysis spreadsheet from the Real Estate Financial Planner. Download a free copy today and finally start analyzing your rental properties correctly. Go to refp.info forward slash free to download it today. So the most important thing, uh, and it's, it's important in every segment, but it's so much more important, is you have to attune with your clients. You have to attune with them. You know, Chris Voss calls it tactical empathy. Uh, Mark Goldston calls it listening in. You know, some people call it the flow. One of my favorite clients, he calls it feeling the vibe, right? So you have to do that with your clients because to have a successful career with these, with higher end celebrities and clients and CEOs, there's a few things. You have to gain their trust. You have to get top of mind awareness and you have to connect with them, right? Or attune with them. If you don't attune, they're not going to listen to anything you say. So you can't establish yourself as an expert. And, you know, if you don't connect with them, they're never going to hear any of it. So the whole thing is going to be out the window. So you have to achieve top of mind awareness, but organically. And by that, you have to make that connection, establish yourself as a knowledgeable expert in the field, and then, you know, maintain that top of mind awareness. So that's the most important thing because otherwise you're a, you're a commodity and you can be switched out. But that relationship with them is what makes you unique and irreplaceable. And then the knowledge that you bring is, is taken on a deeper level. I was, but in my previous life, I like to tell people in my previous life, I was an educator. And I worked in every level of school from preschool administrator to college. But one of the things I did, I was a behavior therapist and I worked with children who had any array of disabilities. But the core of most disabilities, it's a uh, perspective disorder. So they see and feel things in a different way, on a different spectrum. And so the key thing with a lot of my students was if I attuned with them, they knew that I had that connection with them and they felt comfortable and safe. Because when you attune with someone, you feel more comfortable and safe with that person. Then even when things were stressful and they couldn't necessarily tell if the way they were feeling was right or what was going on or were getting overwhelmed because we had that connection, they could come, it would help calm center and focus them. And so they'd know that if I was telling them everything's okay, they knew it was okay. Even if they weren't feeling it was okay. And it's kind of the same thing with adults, 
and people in a real estate uh, transaction. For a lot of people, it's the largest uh, financial choice they'll make. And if it's not, it's still a large financial move. I do have a lot of clients where it's weird to say it's not their largest financial uh, investment, and it, it probably won't be. But it still is a big move, especially if it is where they're going to live. Because where you live, regardless if, if it's based on money or not, uh, it affects every single aspect of your life psychologically, mentally, physically. I mean, the, the number one thing that uh, determines if people use green space or uses things is proximity. Not if they like it, not if they're healthy, not if it's just proximity and access. I always like to say, if, tell me what you like and I'll tell you where you live. Tell me what you like and, and I'll tell you where you live. And so attuning with your, with your clients creates that trust. And then you can establish yourself as the expert, achieve top of mind awareness, and then you become the, go, the irreplaceable go-to, right? And then when things get hard, which in a lot of these, it gets complicated. You know, there's a lot of unique, unique things that can happen, but they trust you. And then you also have a greater understanding of their situation and can find creative solutions sometimes when, you know, uh, somebody who maybe was less in touch with the situation would not be able to find that solution. That makes sense? It sure does. And, you know, I think there's maybe a hypersensitivity probably at that tier, but that, that lesson works its way down, I think, through, you know, other segments of the marketplace as well that, um, getting in tune with your client and, and making that connection with them. Um, so I'd, I'd actually transfer that advice to everybody, regardless of their, their niche in the market. Before I move away from the, like working the luxury tier, I maybe I'll want to get into a little bit of the more precise tactics. Um, when you have a, a high-end property, you probably have a smaller buyer pool out there. So how do you market those properties in a way that's different from a $600,000 condo? Absolutely. And you're, you're correct because, you know, you're, you're now you're talking about usually two or maybe less than the percentage of people on earth who can afford that, that listing. And then you have to find the person who wants to buy that style house in that place at that time. And it suddenly becomes, you have to become a worldwide sniper and just pop right into the people, the specific people, but all over the world, but right in front of them in the best way at the right time. Right. So, um, you know, obviously videos and photos are, are great and you can use social media and you can actually target people based on their other likes. So, you know, if you find people like that are members of the Rolls Royce Collectors Club, not a lot of people who have a, a small disposable income who are going to be a member of the Rolls Royce Collectors Club. Right. Other laterals you can look at that transect with luxury and that socioeconomic class. So that's the first way, right? You can target people that way. And then the other thing is do things that they find organically. So make the listing interesting and findable and searchable for people who, who are going to be wanting it. That's another thing you can do. Uh, obviously, you can do unique parties. Like a, a friend of mine just took a $17 million listing up in, in um near San Francisco. And we're going to do, we're going to help them with a, with a Gatsby party at that house where I had them on my show recently, actually. And we were talking about how a Gatsby party would be a nice thing because it implies that luxury. It'll get 
the Rolls Royces, it'll get those higher end things, you know, versus like, let's say a casino night that you could do attract a different group of people, right? So that's a big thing or different way to target people. And it's not targeting them like, hey, you want to buy a house or, hey, are you searching for a house? Because very often they're not and they're not searching. And it's just, well, if it comes up, great. Because the people that are actively searching in that area for that thing, they're going to find you. But you need to sometimes reach out to that specialty group. Like I, I'm working on a, a property that's a huge horse ranch right now. And so we're going to look at doing, getting boxes at some of the polo events and some of the hunting jumper events and things like that to get the, the property more visibility, but in a unique way with people who are already interested in that kind of property. And to, you know what I mean? Does that make sense to you? Yeah, and I'm definitely going to be following your social media a lot more closely to to watch these events and see how they go. That's fascinating, and it's you know it takes a great degree of creativity in your marketing. So I'll definitely be following along to 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 see, to see how those play out. Yeah, I post a lot on my social media, so it should be it should be interesting, even regardless of those events. But there should be lots of interesting stuff on there, and then also strategic alliances. Strategic mm-hmm. alliances are so important. Um, strategic alliances with with people in um, related businesses, managers, agents, um, the people who run the houses. You know that there's a lot of things. Even co-marketing opportunities. I was I was explaining that to somebody where you can co-market with other agents in different markets that are non-competing, and it gives you a lot more visibility instantly. Yep. Before I, we also before we kind of get toward the end, um, I have a couple more things I want to make sure I get to talk to you about. You mentioned that you have some, you know, secrets in real estate that like to share with our audience, you know, real estate secrets that their agent didn't tell them. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Alex Brayshaw. Join me as I celebrate the positive impact of business and what drives the people behind it. It's a chance to hear from business leaders, emerging sectors and industry influencers about their unfinished business in just 25 minutes. Sure. Well, you know, a few things. Number one is the location is important. And of course, it's so important, but the secret is really in the buy. If you buy at the right price, it doesn't matter where or what it is. If you bought at the right price, you're safe and you're going to make money. That's the first thing. Number two is really take a close look at the SCR market because there's a lot of people that are doing that wrong and they get bewildered feeling in that space. And there's a lot of money in there. Also, the difference between someone that wins in real estate and somebody that loses in real estate is very simple. People that win in real estate hate losing, but the people that lose in real estate fear losing. And when you fear something, you run from it and you avoid it. When you hate something, you fight as hard as you can against it to make sure it doesn't happen. But you know it's going to happen eventually. And then also thing that, the biggest thing that people often don't think about is it costs money to heat and cool your house. There are a lot of deferred, not deferred, but there's a lot of uh, silent costs of buying a house, uh, which have to do with maintenance. And those are very important to do. And that is the number one thing that, that millennials are complaining about owning houses is that there is, they didn't think about all these 
hidden costs, if you will. So that, and then also the way that your neighborhood makes you feel the first time you drive in is the way it's gonna make you feel for the next five years. So if you didn't feel good the first time, leave. For potential home buyers out there listening, that um, that's probably a good takeaway for you right there. Take a peek at the neighborhood. You know, finally, I wanted to congratulate you. You've been recently appointed to the board of Houselet, um, a company that works with SDR short-term rentals in the area. Could you tell us a little bit about that and about you know about the short-term rental market and why that's important to you? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Houselet, if you think about it, it's like Airbnb meets Zillow, and they had a really pretty baby that is way better than those two companies because they're not. You know, they both have their faults. Uh, so it's a company that specializes in 30 to 90 day, listing 30 to 90 day furnished rentals, which actually has a big gap in that market. And something most people don't know is I believe 20%, more than 20% of the rentals on Airbnb across the board are for 30 days or longer. Hmm. So that's a huge percentage considering Airbnb has the majority of short-term rentals short-term rental listings, they're, they're the dominant force. So they're the big kid on the block, if you will. Yeah. So that's an interesting statistic there. I think short-term rentals and even 30, 90 day rentals are going to have a huge explosion, especially with revenge travel coming up pretty soon here. And, you know, and even if there is further restrictions and things after that, there'll be revenge travel. Yeah. So Whenever that happens, you know, depending on how things go. But I think revenge travel is going to be huge. Most people have been doing short-term rentals wrong. And so it's not this established space. So you can still buy if you know what to look for and you understand the government you're buying within and um, you know what, how to use the AI tools correctly. You can still buy something for well under its value in my opinion, because your income is going to be massive on that property. And, you know, the same way that banks aren't really fans of giving a loan based on your uh, short-term rental income potential, Mm -hmm. a lot of people aren't looking at it. They're not taking it seriously. And, you know, I mean, there's houses that I've helped buyers buy recently that within the first year, they're 100% cash flow positive just using short-term rentals. So to me, it's mm-hmm. like, well, if I know I can get that year, I'm hundred percent cash flow positive. Even if later on I have to do something else, sell it, change it to a long-term rental, whatever. I'm playing with the house's money. Yep. Literally the house, get the house, the house. But so I think it's a great space and it's very interesting. And, you know, especially now with all these digital nomads mm-hmm. and, all of these wild things. I mean, I bought one in a, in a developing market, which are two things I love because in developing markets, some of these markets haven't had a recession in 20, 30 years because they just are growing so much. There's so much potential for growth. So like you get a, a condo hotel in a developing market and I'm like giddy, like a little kid, like a mm-hmm. toy, you know, like I got the best toy at Toys R Us. You know, you're going to make money on it. It's going to be interesting. You don't have to do a lot of work for it because I have managers. Short-term rentals, I really suggest getting managers unless this is what you do all the time because you will do it wrong. I even see smart people who own dozens of houses and they're trying to run their own STRs and they are losing money. Not necessarily losing money because they're cash flow positive, but they're losing money by leaving so much money on the table. 
and time. As a short-term rental investor who's probably not made every choice um, correctly, yeah, at the time, the larger factor. And I say that after spending spending yesterday getting um, our newest one ready to go online, doing tasks that I probably were not at the highest, you know, at the highest of my license, but that's that's what I did yesterday. Um, all right. People value their time and it is extremely valuable. It's the only thing that you can't save. Mm-hmm. And all the other opportunities that I, you know, forwent to... To go up there and to you know tighten a couple bolts and to spruce a couple things up. Sometimes you have to do it. That's the nature of it. But that is um, that was not probably the best use of my time. But I learned something. I'll take that away from it. And now I learn what I need to delegate out and be ready to delegate out. Yeah. In general, I think it's great. You do you lean into really hard what you're good at, mm-hmm. and you hire someone for everything else. Yeah. Before I go in and ask, um, tell everybody where they can find you and get in touch with you, um, I want to ask you the same three questions that we ask of all of our guests that come onto the podcast, starting with you know, question one. If you were forced to give a presentation for 30 minutes on some topic with no preparation whatsoever, what could that topic be? One of three things. I'd either talk about short-term rentals. I would talk about the importance of connecting with people and how to do it. Or I would talk about mindset and how, how to have a winning mindset and uh, why it's so important. With the mindset, you know, does that go back into hand in hand with the abundance mindset that you reference for, for prospective agents or is that? It would go back to a a combination of things, mindset of being an agent, a mindset Mm -hmm. of how to handle your fear, a mindset of not fearing things that, you don't want to happen, but how to, how to manage them are feeling fear, how to manage that feeling to still succeed in the situation. And, you know, how the secret to most real estate is and most businesses selling or owning both the same is don't stop. You have to not, as long as you don't stop, you're going to win. Mm-hmm. You just have to be able to weather the storm. And as long as you can weather that storm, you're going to come out on the other side with a bigger, stronger ship. And can you tell us something that happened in your past that affects how you do business or lead your life today? Yes. So, and that actually goes back to the fear thing I was talking about. So I was kind of sick as a kid and I had to do surgeries and I had to do, there was a lot of scary things. And so she'd always teach me, okay, it's okay to be scared, but be scared after. Go do it first. Give yourself all the permission to be scared afterwards. Go do the thing. And then you can give yourself permission to be scared of, of doing it. That makes sense? So give yourself permission to feel it, but after you've done it, put all your energy before you do something into executing, solving it, achieving it. If you're going to be scared about it, that's fine, but do it after. And as a kid, I never realized, but once you've done it, you're not scared anymore. You don't feel the fear. So it was really a way to hack fear on a, for a lot of things. So if you're scared of, even it even works going on, um, you know, meeting with a client that you don't want to talk to or negotiating a deal you don't want to, you know, whatever it is, feel the fear later. Focus all that energy you'd be feeling the fear with on achieving the goal and, you know, solving the problem. You know, I wish you told me that in my past before when I was a kid jumping off of, you know, jumping into the water from like really high cliffs or, you know, as an adult making my first courtroom appearance, all of that, those moments were, were clouded by the fear that I felt at the time. And when they were done, they were fine. But that's, that's a good tip of advice. 
And finally, I want to ask you just, you know, what's something that you're watching, listening to, or reading these days? So uh, one of my favorite books is this book called, um, written by Shaheen Cheyenne called Billions, the king of the thrill pill cult. He's a business genius, and it talks about how he went from being homeless in a car to being a billionaire, but not that weird cheesy way you're thinking of. And he actually... Um, he did a series of things, including create herbal ecstasy, which was a totally legal item at the time. And he hacked a whole system. I mean, he basically figured out how to hack drug dealing, hmm. right? For drug dealers to make it legal and safe. It, it, but, but it's not just that. It's all about a business mindset. And he's created so many billion-dollar businesses since then, just from the, the key things that he's learned. So that's one thing. Just Listen with Mark Golson, and then The Three-Minute Rule by Brant Pavidic. It hacks and is all actionable items about how to pitch anything in three minutes or less. And it has, literally, it breaks it down. So it's not about mindset. It's not about, oh, if you feel this way, that way, it's great. But, you know, sometimes those mindset books you, you read, and there's nothing actionable. So I kind of feel like, well, what did I just do here by for all the time? But Brant's book, I love because it's all actionable items. This is how to do it. This is how I did it. This is how you can repeat it. For everybody listening, all those are going to be mentioned in the show notes. So you don't have to go back and Google it yourself. We'll have it in the show notes for you to take a peek at. Um, but more importantly, in the show notes, we're going to have all the, the ways that you can get in touch um, with Nathaniel. Nathaniel, where can we find you? Well, the best way to find me initially is you know, uh, my Instagram, you can call me on my cell phone that you can feel free to put in the show notes as well. But the best way is Instagram. Go ahead, DM me. I post uh, valuable videos every week, about five stories a day. There's actually, I built my whole business on social media. So I do a lot in the social space. Uh, and I think on there, through there, you can probably find my phone number, my email, my address, my fingerprints, my blood type, maybe a retinal scan or two. I mean, it's all, it's all on there. Absolutely. But feel free to call me or uh, DM me. I do get all those messages directly myself. LinkedIn, Facebook, it all comes to me. But Instagram is the absolute best hub of it all. All right. Start with IG. You'll find everything else from there. And it's Getzel's Group, G-E-T-Z-E-L-S, G-R-O-U-P. And if you just Google my name, I'm all over the internet. Nathaniel Getzel's. All right. I have websites. I have this. I have that. You, you, you can find it all. It's all in there. Well, thank you. And that's what your homework is today, everybody listening. Go find him and connect with um, Nathaniel. Um, Nathaniel Pitchin Getzels, thank you so much for being on the Real Estate Law Podcast. For those of you listening, like, subscribe, and all of that. And we look forward to seeing you and hearing uh, from you next time. Thanks. It was a pleasure. This has been the Real Estate Law Podcast. Because real estate is more than just pretty pictures, and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. We're powered by Next Home Title Town, Greater Boston's progressive real estate brokerage. More at nexthometitletown.com. And Urban Village Legal, Massachusetts Real Estate Council, serving savvy property owners, lenders, and investors. More at urbanvillagelegal.com. Today's conversation was not legal advice, but we hope you found it entertaining and informative. Discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Thank you for listening.